I feel like we have these grand visions for what this podcast can be. And then we always come slinking back to like, let's just try to barely record one episode and get that out. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where we, that's where we are now. Yeah. <laughs> so, so let's record an episode. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. Hello, Alaska. I'm Pat Race. And I'm Matt Buxton. And this is a podcast about Alaska. In today's episode, we are going to talk about uh, the election. The, uh, we're going to focus on the governor's race since it's been really interesting this week. We're going to kind of uh, do a little recap, and then we're going to talk a bit about uh, what what it's like in the media world. So, um, yeah, Matt, maybe we should introduce ourselves again since it's been a while. Um, do you want to go ahead and – or maybe we should introduce each other. I'll introduce you. Oh, okay, it sounds good. I'm here today with Matt Buxton, who is a uh, journalist, uh, formal, formerly of the Fairbanks Daily News Miner, currently of the uh, Midnight Sun, which is a uh, blog about Alaskan politics and policy. And uh, Matt and I have been doing this podcast for a while. Off and on. Mostly off. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, this is Pat Race. He's a, a Juno guy. He does a whole lot of different things that I can't never really keep track of. He does uh, Lucid Reverie which is a media production company is the best I can best I can figure out. Uh, he owns uh, Alaska Robotics. Um, Pat is very involved in Alaska media, I feel like, as sort of a, a commentator and sometimes the voice of reason, I think, and maybe that little devil on the shoulder saying, hey, everybody slow down, maybe don't overreact so crazily, and maybe, and sometimes kind of says maybe we should react a little crazily, so... Uh, you can find him on Twitter. Um, I think that's sort of where you sort of find some of his political uh, voice. So, and I always appreciate it. And he's a, he's the author and artist behind all of uh, Alaska's um, election materials this year. So if you see some stickers and some voter pamphlets, that's the guy behind it. That was a fun project, by the way. That was really cool. I uh, I did this illustration a while back of a bear with a little "I voted" uh, sticker on, and. Uh, the, it was it was sitting up in the division of elections there and and they decided to contact me and see if I wanted to do something similar for their election pamphlets this year and so uh, I got to work with them and that was a lot of fun I uh, really enjoyed it and it's super exciting to see all the uh, uh, Alaska Native language stickers and things rolling off the presses it's kind of a it's a nice upgrade over those standard stickers and and all the you know the 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 kind of the stock art photos of Alaska nature. So it's a little bit of character. Yeah. So if, if you vote early this year, you get one of those fancy stickers. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, so let's, uh, let's talk about one of the races you might be voting for. Uh, you might be interested in voting for governor of Alaska. Um, <laughs> Matt, what, what happened in the last couple of weeks? Uh, just give us a, like a kind of a quick rundown. Uh, it's, it's been crazy. It's been really wild. Uh, few weeks. So we're currently talking on October 21st right now in the evening. Um, so we just wrapped up a week where on on Monday, everything seemed normal. We were headed towards a three-way race between an independent governor who's made some pretty tricky decisions, uh, a Democrat who entered the race at the last minute, and a Republican who everyone else is pretty much afraid of. And to add a little more context, Mike Dunleavy was a state senator um, and does have a pretty solid, you know, like uh, 30 to 40 percent of Alaskans behind him right now. Mm -hmm. Maybe 35 to 45 is a better number. Yeah. And then um, Mark Begich is a former uh, Alaska senator. Uh, U.S. For, senator. Um, U.S. senator. Yeah. And uh, um, and yeah. 
Bill Walker did have some tough decisions to make. He was faced with uh, $26 uh, per barrel oil. It crashed from, what was it, 110 mm-hmm. Uh Basically, like after he got elected, like, hey, guess what? Here you <laughs> go. Um, so he, he didn't go in to uh, face a fiscal crisis, but it's what he was handed. And I think he did a pretty good job with it. And um, Dep- Yeah, so depending, little, on, depending on who you talk to, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Depending on who you talk to, and it's all, um, yeah, it is. It's all about it's all about your perspective. Um, but from where I'm sitting, I think he did a pretty good job. Um, yeah. So, so, so that's what it looked like. And then what happened? So then on Tuesday afternoon, uh, some rumbling started happening, and then about about two o'clock or so, we got uh, a message that out of the blue, um, Lieutenant Governor Byron Malott had resigned effective immediately. So we really don't really don't know what Lieutenant Governor Malott did here, uh, other than the official line is that it was inappropriate comments, uh, improper overture at a woman. Um, the uh, woman in question, I guess, uh, doesn't has asked specifically not to be named. Doesn't want any her name out there. Doesn't really want to be involved in this. The governor's administration and has sort of asked for. Um, people to respect the privacy and i guess we'll probably get into a little bit of you know how that is played out um so but yeah. suffice it to say uh you know i guess what was your response to this um you know you've been watching this race closely you've been concerned about what uh election of mike dunleavy might mean um what did you think about this yeah it was um it was shocking it was a big surprise um the uh you know i, I follow politics fairly closely um but it was not something i was expecting uh, and I don't think it was something a lot of Alaskans were expecting. Um, the like Walker Malott, uh, I think you called it a bromance. <laughs> and uh, I really <laughs> think that's a good way to describe it. They were, you know, they were buddies and they were they were more than just like running mates. And they um, really helped support each other for the last four years. Um, so to see this, um, you know, it was it was a little shocking. And uh some people, you know, there's there's all kinds of rumors that fly when there's no information. And I think that's, um, I think it's unfortunate that there wasn't a little more detail. Um, I think that there could have been, a, actually, I think there could have been a lot more detail without divulging the uh, the victim or making the victim the center of it. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that actually by not putting out very much detail, I think they've invited a lot of rumor and innuendo and just really gross stuff that's happening right now um, as far as um, people, people speculating. And, and I mean, and to be fair, that's what I'm doing too. I'm like completely speculating, like, th- playing out every scenario of like, oh my God, what, what could he have said to, uh, to warrant this immediate, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like lightning fast resignation. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. And, and then you just hear things and, um, and it's tough to parse out what is and isn't true because there's no real official line. Yeah. So we've been kind of grappling with that throughout the week. Uh, I think there's a really big questions there as far as like media's media's responsibility in here. I feel like I think coming out of it, I really felt strongly about protecting the privacy of the person involved. I think um, very few people don't know somebody who has been infected by this. And and there's been people who've come forward and, and talked about their experiences or bad things that have happened to them or, you know, all this sort of improper behavior at the hands of, you know, elected powerful men. And um, people, you know, people have trouble finding jobs in the wake of it. People have trouble finding, you know, operating normally after it in a lot of ways. And so I was really warning against, like, 
delving really deeply into these. I don't think we need to know the precise words that we said, but like you said, I think after after a few days of like reflecting on it, I started to think, looking at the language and stuff, and go, well, we don't know what he said, and we also don't know if it was anything he did was illegal. We don't know um, who, you know, it doesn't matter necessarily who it was because, you know, it should, any sort of inappropriate comments to, um, you know, it it shouldn't matter if it's a commissioner or an employee or an intern or, you know, a homeless woman or anything like that, you know, as we've seen. um, And, but, you know, the thing that where it does matter, and this is where the rumors are coming in, is like, you know, if it's an underage person who's not 18 or is not, not, is underage. And I think that... So there's a lot of questions here, and we don't really know any of these answers. Um, I put, I'd push back a little bit against that. I think it does matter, um, like the context of the relationship. I think that if it, you know, if it was an intern, yeah. I think that's different than if it was uh, someone outside of their office. You know, if he, if he's, yeah, um, a, the, a, the the shape yeah. of how it went down matters, and I think you can divulge the shape of a of an issue like that without having to, um, without having to reveal the person. Yeah, I, I agree, and I think that, that I would totally agree with that. And I think part of what I what I was meaning there is simply that I think in my mind, at, l- at least when I started when I first saw these things, I went into kind of reporter mode and was thinking about this and was thinking, you know, oh, it's a really big deal if it's a commissioner, but is it as big of a deal if it's not as important of a person? But yeah, you're right. Like the the power dynamics in here are really critical, and you know, if somebody's abusing those yeah. dynamics, I think that's a really, you know, that 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 reaches, I think, beyond just the immediate resignation. And maybe there are other penalties that should be considered, I think. Yeah. And so, but I, either way, I mean, whatever, w- w- I'm sure we'll find out more eventually, but what, what it left us with was this scramble to figure out, okay, well, what does that mean for Walker as who's his running mate, who's a lieutenant governor? And they can't take um, a lot off the ballot because the ballots are printed. And it just became uh, very confusing because um, you can just imagine, like, how do you message, like, okay, now we're supporting uh, the Walker Malott thing, and Walker did some, or Malott did something bad, but but Walker's okay. We still want to vote for Walker, and it just became like this. It looked really hairy for, especially in this three-way race where everyone's trying to thread the needle, of of just mm-hmm. basically the the winner in 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 the three-way race was looking like they were going to have to come out of it with, you know, a relatively slim margin. Yeah. Um, well, and that's the thing too. I think there's a lot of people right now. Um, who are looking at this race. It's a three-way race, right? And so you have um, on uh, kind of one side of the ticket, you have independent governor uh, Bill Walker, who's, you know, he's got some progressive tendencies. He's kind of conservative on some things. You know, he's really kind of a true moderate, I would say. Whereas uh, you have Mark Begich, who's a, you know, conservative Democrat, but he's still much more progressive, I would say, than Walker is. But they kind of, you know, they're sort of two faces at the same liberal side of the ticket. And then you on the other side, you have this far right guy and Mike Dunleavy. And so I think a lot of voters um, weren't really super didn't feel super strongly about Begich or 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 Walker. They were simply, you know, they're anti Dunleavy votes. And so I think a lot of people were looking for well, who's got the edge? You know, that's that's where people were looking for. And so I think this pretty clearly made it um, tipped it, made it clear who had the edge, who is who is more who had more of a chance of winning. And and yeah, as we yeah, saw it, by Friday, it, it tipped the race yeah. to, to baggage. And so, yeah. you know, I think Walker saw that and he's, you know, I, I think that it, there are people who would who would argue with me. But I think that he's always been there to try and do what's best for Alaska. And I think that he 
sees Dunleavy as not a good option for Alaska, and so he stepped out of the race, which is shocking for an incumbent governor to do. Um, mm-hmm. That was on, yeah, so that came on Friday afternoon um, in front of the Alaska Federation of Natives uh, annual convention. So uh, Alaska Natives and, and, and non-Natives from all over the state were in Anchorage this weekend. Um, so, you know, he said this to a, a packed audience. There were there were uh, really gasps of, of shock in the room when he said it, but kind of by the time the dust settled as he was explaining his thinking, um, he really made it clear that, you know, his his heart was really in what was best for Alaska. And so that was ultimately the decision he made. It was yeah. it was self-sacrifice. And I think that it's it's a real shame because it's the kind of self, self-sacrifice that demonstrates that he's a good leader. You know, I, I kind of wish that, like, this was sort of a King Solomon test and you say like, oh, okay, well, he sacrificed himself for our state and that means now he's the right person to lead us. Um, but yeah. unfortunately, <laughs> that's not how it plays out. Like, I, I, that made me want to vote for him more and I I, I have to, like, I, I have to go and vote for Begich because that's this the situation we're in. I have to, like, overcome that desire to be like, oh my God, he he's, like, such a good dude and he did the right thing and uh, he did it to help us and so... It's tough because now I'm it's your strategic voting and um, it it you know I really wish it could have been a, a different situation you know I I don't like the way our elections are set up right now to create all this strategic voting. I mean that's the whole thing, right? I mean that's what I think voting, especially voting post the the Trump era, I feel like is um, not post, but you know during the Trump era. For, for the left side of the ticket really is kind of this, I think, empower or should be an empowering thing where we're voting what we care about. We voting, you're voting about what's important to you. And then and in this race, you know, it's really purely voting about what you're afraid of. Yeah, you're voting against someone. I think it's really tough. Yeah, I think it's gonna be a really tough election for for Begich, even even though, you know, he has the support of Walker. Um, I think it's it's really tough to be able to sell that. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I don't know how that'll play out. It'll be really interesting. Like I, I can't imagine a lot of Walker supporters will, will migrate over to, uh, Dunleavy, but, um, maybe some people just won't vote for baggage and it'll be, um, we'll just have those lost ballots. It'll be interesting to see if he can pull it off still. I think it's going to be an incredibly tight race. Um, yeah. I mean, you look at, I've seen other races where candidates have, for whatever reason, still ended up in a three-way race, and and someone has has withdrawn, but you know, stayed on the ballot, and you know, they they hold on to about ten percent of the vote, yeah. almost even regardless of what kind of messaging they're doing. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised on election day that uh, Dunleavy, or sorry, excuse me, Walker still has about ten percent of whether it's people who, you know, like yourself, feel very strongly about the kind of courage that he did and still support him, or. Or as people who don't just didn't hear get the message, you know. I mean, not everybody was watching that thing, and not everybody is paying attention closely to the the news. And and some people, you know, some people have already voted you know, through the absentee ballot process. Right. So um, it's really it's going to be a really tricky and interesting election on that front. So um, so I'm really curious though. So <clears throat> we've done this podcast for a while now. Um, and it's always been, you know, I'm, I'm the guy who's sort of d- knee deep in the media and you're the guy who's kind of looking, you know, is involved in looking out on the outside, looking in. And so I'm curious as to kind of how you think that the media has sort of handled this. You know, I think they're kind of almost a, a character in, in this in, in, in a way because, yeah. um, 
And so, yeah, I'm curious. I guess let's start, start talking just a little bit about the, the Lieutenant Governor Malott's um, resignation. Um, how do you think the media handled that as a whole? And maybe if you want to break us down into a few different categories, go ahead. I don't know if you want to separate it into like the Alaska mainstream media and sort of the like kooky bloggers, of which you are now a kooky blogger. Um, <laughs> the, I, I feel like the the mainstream media kind of did what they could with it and they were definitely frustrated. But then the then a lot of there's just like this wild west blogging world out there of, you know, you've got the like mud flats, midnight sun, Craig Medrid landmine must read Alaska. Like there's just this whole cohort of, um, the, of like blogs reporting on what other blogs said. And, um, they're like these pseudo news organizations and they kind of just kind of run with anything. Um, and mm-hmm. which is fine. I mean, it's like they, they should be able to, it's, 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 it's pamphleting. It's the, you know, freedom of expression, freedom of, of speech. Um, but it's also tough because at the same time it's, it's happening all at the same time that newsrooms are really diminished and don't have the capacity to really put in the effort. So you've got like, you know, people like Suzanne Downing are, almost as big as some of the newsrooms right now, which is wild. Um, you know, you've got one person who's willing to work really hard and that's, you know, not much smaller than a newsroom. Um, the, you know, like a lot of the, I guess you probably know better than I do, but a lot of the newsrooms in the state are just like a few, you know, handful of people trying to do their best. And, um, like here in Juneau, James Brooks was, uh, you know, he was doing design and layout for a while the last couple of weeks. And, you know, and he's like, he's, he should be out tracking down stories and doing the news. And so mm-hmm. I guess with the, with the Malat thing, um, uh, it just felt like a lot of, um, it felt like because we weren't given much information, people s- scattered and looked to fill it in with like kind of rumor and innuendo. Yeah. And that's, this, that's kind of where I think some of the differences between the media, the sort of the traditional media and, and, and the blogger world. And I think, um, so one of the really big things with bloggers, I think you need, people really need to keep in mind when they're reading the reporting is just kind of like who these people are, what their motivation might be and who might be paying them. And I think it's something to keep in mind with, with, I mean, with all media, but particularly these blogs, because a lot of them can be really widely affected by who's paying the bills for them, um, what the readership is. So that's one element of it. Um, I can, I mean, I'm, my my blog is owned by Jim Lotzfeld. He's a kind of progressive guy who has his hands in a lot of different politics and and is really honestly pretty hands off with everything that I have. So uh, he's not a, he's not uh, shy about you know telling that people that he's you know friendly with both um, Walker and and Begich, But I guess it's not that big of a surprise that I'm kind of friendly to them too. Um, so that's one element of it. I think people need to keep in mind. But I think the other really big thing that a lot of media, the bloggers might not be asking themselves where I think traditional media might is talking about the news value and what, you know, kind of what we need to know and why we need to know it is one thing. And but there's also that equation of, there's also part of the equation is what do we want to know? And that's what they feed. Yeah. And so that, I think that's what the bloggers are doing, right? And so they, you people, the, the part of you does want to know what was said or who, you know, you know people want to know all the dirty details of it, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that the rushing into that can be really um, dangerous uh, as far as 
simply impacting the victim. And so I think there are some really reasonable questions to be asking here. And I think, you know, we like we said, talked about earlier, you know, was something illegal done, that sort of stuff. I think talking about those kind of questions and filling into that context is really important. And I think one of the things that the media should be really focusing on with a lot of these is kind of holding um, power responsible for its actions. And so, you know, the question is, is Malat been held responsible? We don't know. And so I think yeah. until we really know, I think we should continue to push. But. Are you the media? Like, are, are, are these independent blogs or, or semi-independent, quasi-independent blogs, like, are they the media? Or I, that's the thing that I guess I have some struggling with is because it feels like as newsrooms shrink and people disperse and get paid to write these independent, you know, basically they're all independent newspapers. And so, like, is, is that the news? Um, is that just the shape of the news today? Like, are they journalists? Are they behaving? Do they are they held to an ethical standard? Like, are you the media? Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I think people are. I think I think the media that what kind of constitutes the media is changing, I think, you know, I think, I think even, even if you look at a lot of newspapers, they are really changing, you know, there are a lot more um, partnerships with um, organizations that have key interests and stuff. So, you know, you look at, you know, the news miner, I worked on a project there about alcohol abuse, and it was funded by in part by a group that is fighting alcohol abuse. And right. so, you know, obviously, we kind of have, we're steered in certain directions. And we have, you know, I think it's important for a lot of these groups to maintain their uh, editorial freedom, and I think a lot of papers are are doing that really well. And I, I'm, it's harder, to, but it, so it's harder to know when you're kind of leaning into um, uh, independent organizations like a, you know a blog or something like that, and really knowing that sort of stuff. But I think you know it's it's kind of just a matter of who's got news and who's able to share it and who's able to share it in a somewhat entertaining way. And so, yeah, but also, um, but also who is able, way, who, yeah. who is able to share the news comes back to money. Like who has the time to, to investigate yeah. and to craft a story and to share it. Like that's, that's the real thing. I mean, so this podcast, the reason that we don't do it very often is because it's kind of a hobby for us. Right. But people who mm-hmm. are putting out news every day, they're paying their bills. Like, so that's, they're, they can afford to be the news because they're being paid to say something. And if they're a mouthpiece for an organization, do they have to disclose that or do they have to, I mean, no, yeah, you don't, no, like, you don't have to like, why not? I mean, that's, that's, that's just, that's because it's the freedom of speech. I think, you know, you can, you know, and we're all private businesses. That's kind of one of the thing. A lot of the thing that I think people need to keep in mind, I think is that, you know, we, as journalists all are, you know, benefiting from the very strong constitutional protections we have, but we're not necessarily, um, that doesn't mean everyone is always telling the truth or is always telling you the full picture. I think, um, and sometimes that's out of, you know, entertainment value and the desire to get people out there. And sometimes it's, you know, because there's a desire for whatever reason to be shaping the narrative or, or, or getting people to think a certain way. And, so I think those are all things to be keeping in mind. And I think it kind of is important for a consumer to be to be even more skeptical, I think, than ever before, because you know, things are changing so much. It, it kind of, you know, you can kind of find whatever sort of new version of news that fits your personal taste. You know, yeah. if you want to find something that's more that's progressive no good, or more though. conservative. That's horrible. I mean, it's you, no good. because then you just yeah. end up in a bubble. But I guess that. I, I, on the upside, on the fix, upside it's hard though, to fix. Yeah. well, I guess there is an upside, and the upside is that we have this yeah. multitude of voices coming from all these different, mm-hmm. um, whether they're 
paid or whether they're hobbyists or whatever. We have a, a, a wide variety and you can kind of like cobble together uh, various perspectives and you can see the whole shape on the thing. You know, basically it's like these different viewpoints. And so instead of getting like a two-dimensional view of an object, you're seeing it from many different directions and you can see its three-dimensionality. Um, so may, mm-hmm. maybe that's good. But if you're getting your news from one source, that's probably not good. So maybe if you're only reading Must Read Alaska or, or if you're only listening to this podcast, it's it's a good idea to branch out and read some of the things that you're not. Or some, Yeah, hopefully you're, hopefully you're reading just looking at something else if you're just listening to this podcast. Yeah, you know, because you've been bored for months. Um, yeah. the, uh, it's a, you know what this reminds me of, though? This this reminds me of, fr- of a frustration that that is not that long in our rearview mirror. And that's um, Amanda Coyne. She worked on this like news blog that was a really popular news blog in Alaska. And she, and, and, and it's interesting because it, it has to do with Mark Begich. He was running against, um, you know, the Senator Sullivan, now Senator Sullivan, Dan Sullivan. And he, um, as, as soon as he won that election, he hired on this journalist who kind of softballed him throughout the whole election process and it was a really weird thing and like i feel like that's the kind of thing that we're in right now where there's this election going on and i i just questioning people's motives you know like you know like jeff at the landmine he's like he i mean he's a wacky dude and uh i watched this primary election coverage uh you know election election central in anchorage check it out and and so there's tom hewitt from the adn sitting next to jeff landfield like which i think elevates his status you know it's like okay we're we are peers we are journalists and then jeff is saying like i'm going to take off my journalist hat here because i'm also uh running engineering architecting one of these races against sharice millet like it's just a weird weird world right now yeah, I mean that's a whole bag of worms right there. But yeah, um, I think there's that, a lot of worms. I think it's interesting. Be- yeah, I think it's interesting because I think um, you know part of the reason I got into the blog sort of format is because it offered me a greater degree of editorial freedom and to be able to either be ch- picking what I want to report on or kind of you know and talking about things kind of that are important to me. You know? So healthcare is an important issue to me. Immigration is an important issue to me. And so I think. I think being upfront with some of that stuff is is actually is helpful. I think him saying I'm taking my my hat off and I'm going to talk about this, you know, I think at, at the very least he's being open about it, right? Because some people aren't. Yeah, I guess it's it's it, the tough thing is just being suspicious, you know. I don't I don't want to be suspicious of the of the news and <laughs> but I guess you have to be. Yeah. And so it, and it's how it's I mean, and it's you, how it's always been. I mean, like you go back yeah. to go back to Hearst, you know, it's not like it's not like the news has always been this like pristine like shining gem on a shining hill kind of, you know, it's like the news was no. dirty and muddy and, and, uh, and, you know, it was run by people that had a lot of money that wanted to make more. Mm-hmm. So, well, okay. Anyways, um, should we talk about like what's coming up this week? There's like, I'm sure that the, that 5,000 things will happen, but like, what about these crazy rumors that people are writing about? The governor's race has obviously changed a lot. Right? Baggage Dunleavy gloves are off. Let's go. That's kind of what has happened, right? Because I think that with Walker in the race and and it, it gave Dunleavy a little bit of cover, like he could just kind of like go to his base and hang out and skip over a bunch of debates, right? And forums, yeah. So yeah, I mean, obviously, I think um, the big factor of the race was that um, the the anti Dunleavy vote it was really split. I think we were seeing we saw people fight as even even earlier this week or even last you know the week of when walker's campaign was finally kind of coming 
coming apart. We we're still seeing people who are fighting over, you know, was it was it should be should it be Beggett? Should it be Walker? Who's kind of the flag bearer of this? Who should we consolidate our support around? And so I think, um, yeah, but Dunleavy had been kind of enjoying that and sort of laying in the background and sort of being, you know, sitting there with his 40-ish percent of the vote that's sort of built in as a Republican state and just been very happy with that. And so, um, yeah, now now the whole attention comes down to these two men. And so, you know, Begich has already gone through an incredibly dirty 2014 U.S. Senate race. Dunleavy really hasn't. So we have a lot of kind of rumors and speculation about who this kind of guy who this guy is and um yeah and so right now um there's a lot of pretty nasty rumors about his personal life and i don't know how much detail we actually want to go into that sort of stuff because again it's this you know whole bevy of un sort of un unsourced and unvetted rumors about kind of who he is so okay so i've got a million questions as like out out as outsider guy like what yeah like you say you've known about this for a long time. I found out about this stuff this last week. Um, mm-hmm. What do you talk to other journalists and say like, Hey, do you guys have this information? What are you doing with it? Like, how do you guys decide who's going to like look into something or like whether it's appropriate to talk about, is there like a secret cabal of journalists that get together and de- <laughs> decide that stuff? Or um, like, what's the, what's the process for this when you no. get a crazy rumor? So no, there's not any really cross checking between agencies or anything like that, but you know, people talk to each other. And so, you know, I've, I've heard of this from a couple different operatives, you know, political operatives, as I describe them. So, of course, all of them hate Dunleavy's guts. And I had to take that into consideration when I'm hearing these sort of rumors. So I think that's a big thing to keep in mind is the sources where these are coming from. Um, as far as, as understanding where, you know, how the other media outlets are handling it, the only reason I really know is because I started to, I heard that a, a letter got you know, passed around. And so I asked around to see if anybody had kind of heard of this. And sure enough, a few people had. And so, uh, but you know, I, the time and time again, as I hear is that people say, well, we really can't, there's nothing in there that we can go off of nothing then here, you know, we'd be basically publishing stuff uh, out of hand. And so, you know, there are definitely people who are making calls to the names that are associated in, in some of these stories um, to varying degrees of success. And, sure. and so it's, it's, tricky it's really weird i mean i think there are some people who feel empowered to talk about this stuff because he's a republican because they don't like him but i i guess again i would really be careful with a lot of these rumors just because you know what are you being motivated by and what kind of value does and does some of the just having these rumors out there serve and who does it impact like are we mm-hmm. do, like is this rumor relevant to the question of will this guy be a good governor it's it's hard to say, you know. I think you know this is a very conservative person who you know preaches family values, and I think some people see you know potential hypocrisy in some of his actions. Mm-hmm. But then again, like you know, th- again, we're g- a lot of this stuff you kind of get into the tricky territory of you know talking about someone's personal life, and and so understanding where the line is between public life and personal life is like one of the core issues of journalism, right? So what have we learned from like all this stuff this last couple of weeks? <sighs> Were you surprised by any of this? Yeah. Yeah. Really surprised. I think, um, I think they're, you know, after, after the Malat resignation, uh, I think I heard a lot of people, a lot of people that I really respect and really trust say, Oh, we couldn't have done it. 
you know, there's no way this has got to be some sort of ploy for the election because there's no way that this man who I respect so much could have possibly ever. And I think lot, there are a lot better ploys. We need to remember that there are a lot of people who we think are great in our lives who can do horrible things that um, can surprise us and shock us. Yeah. And just because we don't think that they can doesn't mean that they don't and doesn't mean that that has, hasn't already happened. You know, we don't know what kind of personal life a lot of people have um, or, you know, what, yeah. what they, or what they are able to kind of keep quiet, I guess. And so, um, so, so that, I don't know, that was really tough. I, I, I've really enjoyed watching how an independent administration uh, operates. I think that um, maybe for another day, but we can we can talk about the problems with you know a two party system in the state and how, especially in a state like Alaska where it's so independent. Yeah, I think um, for me it was it was really kind of sad to see Walker do such a selfless thing and and, and walk away because I think he has um, he was definitely dealt a bad card at bad hand, but he's he, I think he worked really hard with. Um, with what it was, and he's made some really important improvements, especially for Alaska natives, I think. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, it was interesting to kind of, I don't know, just realize that I can be a little sentimental about what I report on again. Um, I think it was interesting to see his resignation, and I think it was really interesting to see um, how he handled that. Um, as far as what we've learned, I don't know. I don't know what we've learned. It's, you know, maybe we'll know better in a month when the election is over, but... Um, you know, I guess it. You know, learning something hopefully you know take leads to changes yeah. in action or something like that. And so, you know, who knows? Maybe the status quo c- continues on, and and we just live this sort of life. I feel like learning something means we'll probably be kicking ourselves. <laughs> it's like you have to make a mistake to learn something. Why do we have to learn from our mistakes? Oh, yeah. But I, you, you know, you I, said I, so, you I, said yeah. you said something about yeah. elections there, and like that's something I've been thinking about a lot, and. One of the one of the big issues in this uh, gubernatorial election is that it's going to shape redistricting. And and I at first I was thinking like, man, redistricting uh, is a real problem because gerrymandering sucks and like it, it goes one way and then the other. And and everyone's right that gerrymandering is like to someone's advantage. Um, it's, and so I was like, man, what I, that's an, that's but it's such a big problem. You can't really solve it. And and I came back to this idea of voting. And I think that the. If you just have uh, better representation, more accurate rep- representation of districts, um, then gerrymandering is kind of canceled out. And so I like the idea of putting everyone on the primary ballot, regardless of party, and then taking like the top two and, and running them against each other. But doing, mm-hmm. doing the primary in such a way that you're not having to um, vote strategically. Um, I, I love the idea of like a scored voting system, kind of like a, like five star restaurant review or a Yelp rating. You just say like mm-hmm. this, this candidate is a, is a five and this candidate's a four. Like I take him, I take him second. Like he's, he's, he's all right. He's acceptable. And this candidate's a zero. And, and when you do something like that, then you don't run into problems like the Murkowski, Joe Miller, uh, McAdams race and you don't run into problems like the Dunleavy Walker Begich race you can have you know those three candidates can all run in the primary and then you can take the top two and maybe that's going to end up being Dunleavy versus Begich in the end but at least you've got um, a clear assessment and you're not forcing people to vote strategically and then you get a clear head-to-head which results in a majority of Alaskans choosing the governor or the representative um, or whatever position that is because 
I, I don't like the idea of, of a, of a governor of Alaska getting by on like a slim plurality. I mean, like it's technically, it's a four person race. We haven't really talked about Billy Toyin, but he's out there. And, you know, in a four person race, you could have someone win with, you know, 26% of the vote. And, uh, that's not very representative government. Yeah, I think that's actually, and I think that's a really good question. I think that's a good way to phrase it too. I think, um, you know, ideally the best form of government, for, best form of legislative legislature should most accurately represent the most amount of people possible. And I think, um, you know, the first past the post system where the person with the most votes wins, yeah, it doesn't do a great job at that. You know, I think, you know, the, projections for this race is basically whoever gets about 40 40 ish percent will probably win it um you know how could you say that this is a race that uh or how could you say that this is a governor that the ma- represents the majority of alaskans right it's clearly not going to be a mandate but it will be taken as one which is i think what's yeah. really unfortunate because no matter who wins if it's Begich or if it's dunleavy i think a lot of alaskans are going to feel left out and that's not good for our state Matt, it's great catching up with you. Um, and, yeah, uh, it's good catching up with you. Tell too. me, tell me something that you're you're really happy about, that you're optimistic about. What's what do you what are you excited about right now? Long pause. Uh, yeah, <laughs> really excited. These local elections um, this fall uh, put in a ton of women across the board, um, mostly progressive women, of course. Um, but more women are are running. More women are winning. And I think, um, you know, we look at a lot of these problems we've been having um, on all sorts of things, you know, not not just related to like harassment in the workplace, but just all sorts of just um, the amount of it's it's bringing in a way uh, more broad and, and inclusive um, point of view into our politics and policymaking. And so I think um, I'm really excited to see what all of these women who got elected in this last round will be doing. I think. Um, I think if anything, it's just a, a really refreshing way to shake up how um, we're we're governing ourselves and and what kind of policies are being formulated at that level. So, I'm really excited about it. Yeah, I can't wait to see more of that. Yeah, and I I think I'm just really excited about all the like conversations I've been having with with individual humans. You know, anything when I step back from the the internet and I'm just talking to people about Alaskan politics, it's actually really encouraging. And so. I've been trying to have more of those like one-on-one conversations about like, well, what do you think about this and how should we approach this? Because it's, it just becomes more nuanced and experiential. Um, so yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of great people in this state and I guess that kind of keeps me going. Um, okay. So, uh, that's our episode. I'm Pat race and, uh, you can find me at Alaska robotics on Twitter, or, uh, I've been using Instagram more and posting like little sketches and stuff. Also Alaska robotics on there. And, uh, um, and come visit me at the Alaska Robotics Gallery, which is downtown Juneau. We have got comic books and board games and fun stuff like that. And I'm Matt Buxton. You can find me primarily on Twitter at Matt Buxton. And I also write daily for MidnightSunAK.com. It's the Midnight Sun political blog. And you can find that find us also on Facebook. That's kind of where we're, we're mostly active. And I think that about does it. So uh, until next time, uh, goodbye, Alaska. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.